All right, everyone, welcome back to another weekly roundup edition of On the Margin. I'm joined, as always, by my magnanimous co-host, Mr. Mark Yusko. Mark, welcome back to the show. Ah, thanks, Michael. Thanks. Great to be here. I, I'm, I'm excited in, on in so many levels today to do this show, and, and mm. I'll, I'll give you a couple of those in a second. But we're going to have to do the really difficult sock reveal because I'm, I'm up at the townhouse in South Bend. No orange pants today, but I do have the Bitcoin bull uh, market socks on this morning. All right, let's uh, go. Which will explain why. But but I'm up in up in South Bend, and uh, you know we got a big game tomorrow against Clemson, which uh, I don't know. I'm going to try to stay hopeful. Um, but but I'm, I'm excited about the show for a couple of reasons. So twice in the last week, I had listeners, like regular listeners, a guy from Florida last week at the Carolina game, and then last night flying into Chicago into Midway, a pilot like came zooming across the terminal. Flagged me down. I said, hey, I just want to tell you, I watch the show every week. And it makes me warm inside. Two reasons. That's amazing. One, I, have, I have a huge gratitude to you, Michael, for coming up with the idea, doing the hard work. I remember I say questions are better than answers. And coming up with the questions, coming up with the ideas every week for us to talk about. And the fact that that is meaningful and the fact that people share part of their Saturday with us on a weekly basis I have, I have sincere gratitude for, for all the listeners and, and for you. So that was great. Wow. Hey, thank you, man. This is so much fun for me. I, that's so cool that you got flagged down like it that. It is so that cool. That is awesome. It's yeah. so cool. That's no. awesome. That warms my heart too. Yep. Um, well, we've got, we've got an interesting show for you today. A lot of, uh, a lot of stuff to cover this week. So we had the presser on Wednesday, which I got to get your take on. Uh, we're recording this. It's currently 8.15 uh, on Fridays. We're recording this 8.15 Eastern. Uh, so yeah. jobs report is going to come out in 15 minutes. Basically, all eyes are going to be on that report because it's going to signal to Powell uh, how much leeway he still has to be as hawkish as he was this Wednesday. I guess bef- before we even get into that, and I'll, I'll show you my, I'll share my screen here. Um, because- now, see, Michael, the problem is, is he is transformed. He is transmogrified for people who used to watch Calvin mm-hmm. and Hobbes. He has transformed wow, great reference. from hawk to... He is Jeromosaurus Rex, and Rex is W-R-E-C-K-S. Mm. He is a fire-breathing Tyrannosaurus that the presser was just him spitting fire on people and just beating down the market. And, you know, I've been tweeting this, you know, breaking everything. And I, th- I think the jobs number uh, is going to be... And this, this credit goes to Rob Feinblatt, a good friend of mine, uh, former hedge fund manager who now runs his, his own capital family office. But he also does a, a blog, a weekly blog, if people want to go find him on Substack. But, but Rob thinks uh, that this is going to be a blowout jobs number, like mm. 450, 500,000 jobs. And That'd it's be because bad. of the nonsense that you and I talk about periodically this this BLS BS you know the Bureau of Labor sure. Statistics has this birth death ratio and I always thought and I appreciate Rob pointing this out to me I always thought they did the net of the birth and death every month and so they were creating these mysterious fake jobs every month he said no no they actually do a seasonal adjustment in addition to the to the regular BLS nonsense they in September, have a negative number. They have the deaths. So this September, there was like minus 169,000. And so it looked lower than it should have been. But then in October, they add jobs. So the number that's coming out in a little while could add as many as three to 400,000 jobs that they've never counted, that they don't know actually exist. And that number will make everybody think, oh, or make him think, Jeromosaurus Rex, that he can keep trampling uh, the markets and, and keep raising. So I, I am worried that uh, anyone who went long, and it looks like people went long into this morning, are, are going to get, gonna get their booties kicked. Yeah, smoked. Would, yes, smoked. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, so I, I want to... You know, I want to address that point. I've got the the terminal rate uh, this term up here, and I want to have you uh, define that for for those of, for those of the listeners who, who aren't aware. Uh, and actually, I'll I'll shout out 
Uh, my colleague Jack Farley did a great episode with uh, Jim Bianco and Joseph Wang on this, and they, they really dug into all the implications around the rising terminal rate and why that's the one of the important metrics to be paying attention to. But I, you know, I will say on this, so the way that they calculate the job report, the birth deaths ratio, totally nuts, right? At the same time, totally. you know, an- anecdotally, what I'm looking at out there, you know, I'm, I'm going to describe where we are right now and we're going to get, I think the theme of this episode is that we are in limbo. We are basically in limbo. That's how I'm thinking about things because, you know, yeah. uh, on, perfect on the, being up at Notre Dame, talking about limbo, Catholic, <laughs> Catholic crypto conference coming up in a couple of weeks. All right. All, we're, yes. we're in, let's, let's go. We're there. in purgatory. Is that better for the Catholic vibes? And we're in purgatory right now yeah. because no, basically, limbo works. basically what, what I see happening is, right, we've got Jerome Powell, uh, you know, Jeromosaurus Rex, uh, Superhawk Jerome Powell up there saying we are nowhere near, uh, you know, we're very premature, it would be very premature to think about pausing at this point. So nowhere near, we're getting uh, 75 basis point after 75 basis point hike. But at the same time, you know, we, we are way, the F, the, um, the Fed funds is, is 4%. This is basically more than anyone thought that we could hike without the market breaking. So we're hiking all of this. At the same time, nothing has broke, which everyone said that it would. And all of the, the economic indicators that the Fed would be looking towards to say, hey, uh, inflation might be, might be slowing and we can, maybe, we can maybe take our foot off the gas. None of that stuff is happening. So we're just in this weird limbo mood where the Fed isn't getting any of the economic indicators that they would need, right, which is unemployment, basically, you know, unemployment and slowing wage growth, right, which we're going to get into. Uh, we've got a couple of charts on that later. And so it's basically given them carte blanche, you know, here's the go ahead to keep hiking rates. And we're just in this pretty weird spot right now, which I think enters the, the terminal rate, which is basically, I'll just give a, a, a brief explanation here. But, you know, there, this is the chart of uh, Fed funds futures, uh, the, the forwards curve. So the terminal rate is basically just the highest part of that curve, uh, which it has us peaking here in May of 23 uh, at over 5%. And that terminal rate, if you go back even just six months, it was like around 3%, you know, so it just keeps yeah. hiking and hiking and hiking. So I, I would love to get your, your interpretation uh, of ba- basically like the, the, the rising terminal rate here. Um, and then what you think of my analogy of just us being sort of in this weird limbo state. Well, definitely limbo, limbo definitely works. And, and you know, I've been thinking a lot about this in that, you know, I, on the one hand, we have all the the negative stuff that people talk about and the narratives and all this and and mm. you know I think breaking everything, but on the flip side, we have um, a return to normalcy that is really a good thing, right? A normal I, I functioning economic environment requires positive interest rates, right? It requires incentives for people to save and lend and borrow. And uh, what we had was a 10 plus year period, 12 year period of nonsense, right? Of emergency stimulus that should have ended years ago, right? Should have ended in 2013, you know, three or four years was plenty of zero interest rates, but, but they didn't end it. And so we got used to this epic free money, where bad companies were allowed to exist because they could borrow for free and you know 40% of companies in the you know, S&P 1500 couldn't cover their interest payments let alone pay their debt back and we had this this la la land this this ethereal uh, you know heaven that was was silly well now we're getting back to normal and but the the one thing that didn't make sense to me and now it just hit me with the, the Singer letter that came out uh, yesterday or the day before. And Paul Singer, everyone knows, famous hedge fund manager, wrote this very uh, alarmist, I guess is a good term for it, letter basically saying that this is going to be, the, the, the period upcoming is going to be worse than anything we've lived through. And mm. if you're looking back at 87 or the global financial crisis or 2000 tech rack or 73, 74, forget about it. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about why I, I think he's right. But, but what, I'm, what I'm getting to the point here is that the zero interest rates allowed the budget deficit to balloon, right? And the budget deficit went to, I think at one point it was like $4 trillion, I 
think it hit hit that high in terms of when they were super expanding right after the lockdowns. And the the price increases that we're seeing, right, CPI, are are that we've talked about this. They're currency devaluation. They're not inflation the way inflation normally happens, where there's excess demand, limited supply, and, and good normal economic functioning. It was just it was just this crazy government spending and 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 policy decisions. And oil prices were manipulated higher by the Saudis and and went up 100%. And then used car prices manipulated by the Chinese with their zero COVID nonsense and supply chains breaking. So we had this whole weird thing. And, and we've talked about how many interest rate hikes are going to change the zero COVID policy in China. Hmm. Doesn't matter how many times he hikes, how many yeah. interest rate hikes are going to change the price of, of oil. The Saudis have said, be gone. We're hmm. starting to align with, with uh, Russia and, and China, not, not you, um, which would be a really big problem. Uh, how many interest rate hikes are going to change the price of wheat coming out of Ukraine? just not going to matter. So I think we're in this strange place where they're returning rates to a normal functioning society level. But here's the problem. And, 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 then, and then the budget deficit has to go down concomitantly because the cost of interest on that debt, the massive national debt, is going to go up a lot. So the government budget deficit, the government budget is going to be consumed by this increase in debt costs. And I'm struggling with, with if all that liquidity comes out of the fiscal side and there's not as much spending and there's not as much free money for people, what happens to economic growth? And I think what Singer was saying in his letter is it goes like this. And look, this, this goes to the, the whole 90-year cycle that we've talked about a couple of times. These types of policy decisions can turn garden variety recessions into depressions. 1840s, 1930s, 2020s. And again, I don't want to be too alarmist about it because it doesn't have to happen. But it could, it could be very, very ugly over the next two years. Yeah, I, I don't think it's particularly alarmist to say that. I think, you know, there was a there was a moment in time during um you know, I gotta I gotta give a shout out to our mutual friend Dan Tapiero. Um I, I remember D Tap uh who's 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 been around the block and, and seen a couple of these macroeconomic cycles play out. I don't I don't want to speak for how he's feeling at this particular moment in time, but I will say I remember uh, you know, the around the absolute bottom of 2020, right? This was like April, May timeframe when everyone was panicking yep. and saying that the world was going to end. And I myself, as I had, I remember just thinking, being so sure it has to go lower. Like it's got to be worth, right? Because the whole world was shutting down and you didn't know when it was yep. going to be turned back on and you didn't know if this virus was a threat to humanity or whatever. So in Dan, you know, this was right after the Fed basically came out and they released that. Basically, they said, there's no limit to what we'll do. I forget the exact phrase that they said. <laughs> yeah, time. whatever it takes. And it was the, the, the American equivalent of, of whatever right. it takes from Draghi. The Draghi. It was the American. Yeah, exactly. So uh, so the market, if you remember, didn't actually react immediately. And some people, uh, some, some prominent podcasts said, this is the end of the Fed put. We just watched the end of the Fed put. And Dan, Dan yes. said, absolutely yes. not. Absolutely not. And he was... 100% directionally right. I will say, you know, we are probably in the opposite uh, direction here. I think what 2020 probably taught us is that liquidity and what the Fed is doing, uh, you know, both the, the cost of money and the overall supply of money is more important than economic indicators when people point to fundamentals, at least in the short term. And yes. on the monetary front, we're seeing money get more expensive and we are seeing money get withdrawn, liquidity get withdrawn. So it's just, you know, the fundamentals matter in the long term. But they do not matter in the short term. And I think we learned that in 2020, right? And I, so to these people who say, yeah, the, the economy has been resilient. I don't think that really matters for asset prices, personally. Um, and there's, there's Well, an economy, be- not really that resilient either. Mm-hmm. You know, the sense of, you know, people point to the third quarter GDP number. Like, mm-hmm. that was just net exports. All of that, yeah. quote unquote, growth was just because we drained the SPR and shipped out a bunch of oil and manipulated a positive number right before the election. Shocking, shocking. 
that, you know, we would make a, again, a strategic error, tactical error to, you know, <laughs> lower our reserves at a time of geopolitical strife and conflict. Yeah. Um, when the price of oil could spike very easily. I yeah. mean, the supply demand imbalance, if, if demand doesn't just crater, which, you know, here's the thing. I'll give you one anecdote that as, as, as negative as I am on the, the decisions being made and, and the future uh, growth globally over the next couple of years, uh, you didn't see it last night at Midway Airport in Chicago. There is mm. a hockey tournament going on in Chicago this weekend. 500 teams. Just let that sink in for a second. 500 teams. Okay. Each team, you got the kid, parents, brother. So you're talking 10,000-ish people traveling by airplane mostly. Okay. Because there are some from North Carolina. There are some from Florida. I mean, the team's coming from all over the place. Didn't even know they played hockey in Florida. And we're talking to these people because the line to get a rental car was, I, Michael, I can't even describe how long it was. Mm. And a guy who was driving another bus came to us. We're at the very end of the line. This is you know, late at night. It's like 11 o'clock at night. And he said, hey, just get on this bus. I'm supposed to go to different. I'll just take you to the rental car place. And we're like, oh my God, you're a savior. <laughs> um, so we get to the rental car place. And- it's like a neutron bomb went off. There are no cars anywhere. I mean, everyone sold out, everyone. And and we did finally get a car and we finally did get here at, at whatever, 1.30 last night. Um, which is why I look a little, you know, peak-eyed. But- You always say that. So, you always look great, Mark. You look great. Uh, you, you are, you are a good man. It's a good man. <laughs> um, but I, I do have this weird thing that Thursday nights are bad travel nights for me for whatever reason. Um, but you know, there's, you know, there's I, actually I a decent think... reason for that because just as a anecdotally, like as a, I used to be a consultant, there's an enormous amount of business travel that happens Monday and Thursdays. So like, <sighs> like, uh, yeah, cabs, go. airport, rental cars, yeah. trains, planes, like it's flooded. Like the, the, the majority okay. of business travel yeah. happens on yeah. Monday morning and Thursday nights. So Thursday right. night's like the worst time to, to travel. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that is it. Cause I've had a lot of, you know, that, that's, a, that's good to know. See? Yeah. So, so I do think there are, are glimmers of a people who are still doing okay, but here's the thing, right? And we've talked about this. If your mortgage rate went from 3% to 6% or 7%, mm. that's bad, right? You're talking thousand yeah. dollars a month on a, on a $600,000 house. Um, you know, you're going to have to start cutting things. And we've seen that a little yeah. bit already, you know, with, with Netflix and look, what's happened to the fangs since we've been talking over the last few weeks is astonishing. I mean, those five, six, whichever, you know, let's use fang man. So the seven companies, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, Microsoft, Apple, and, and NVIDIA. I mean, I haven't added it up, but it's, it's definitely over $1 trillion of value has been yeah. vaporized. And now Apple is bigger than all the others combined. Like Meta has gone down to you know, a fraction of its former self. And Apple is only staying up because of, of this weird belief that it, it's immune to this. But they just manipulate better, right? They just buy back more stock and they make the earnings per share go up. But their revenues are declining just like Meta's. And just so if that one were to roll over, whew, it could get up. That would be bad. I have a lot, I have a lot of thoughts actually on, on the, the fangs in general, but I want to I wanna briefly explain because it's 832. So I, ha I haven't looked, but the jobs numbers come out. Uh, so right I'm now- gonna, I'll so look while you're talking. Let me read the expectations here. So basically what people are thinking is that employers have added about 200,000 jobs. Uh, in October. So that's down from the month before, but still a relatively, well, I know, you know, you and I talk a lot on the show about birth death ratio and that number is very skewed, but the Fed takes that number very seriously. And anecdotally, honestly, there's starting to be slowdown in, you know, hiring and stuff like that. And you're starting to see these little 10 to 14% rifts in Silicon Valley, but it, it hasn't slowed down enormously, right? It, it doesn't feel like the labor market has changed enormously uh, in the last six months. 
Um, and, and one of the reasons is this chart that we're looking at, which is wage growth uh, or, or, or uh, you, know, you know, unit labor costs. Yep. And that and that is that is rising. Right. So, you know, you're, you're looking at just under eight percent here. And when, when you have um, when, when you have something that's, uh, you know, wages that are going up, it means that people can basically afford inflation to a certain degree. Right. So that that is what we need to see is uh, or what the Fed is looking for, at least in order to, to stop the hiking cycle is either less people that are in the economy, which is the unemployment rate or slowing wage growth. So with that being yep. said, so it wasn't it wasn't as it wasn't as huge as as Robo had had thought. Uh, we came in at 261 okay. on an estimate of 193. So that's significantly higher. Still a hot report. But they, they were sneaky. They were sneaky. They also, and I love when they do this because no one looks at the revisions. They also revised last month from 263 to 315. So that's really about a hundred and, you know, 20 K beat on a two, 193. So it's a 33% beat. Uh, but the unemployment rate fell, I mean, uh, went it up rose. to 3.7 yeah. from 3.6. Yeah. So, so the, you know, I think what's, what's going to happen here is uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, hemming, hemming and hawing about, you know, what does this mean? You know, futures are still positive. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to take, I'm going to take the under on meaning. I, I think people are going to, going to be worried about this number and that, you know, doesn't give him any uh, ability to, to change the course. And that, that, you know, top of the mountain that you showed, I think is, could be light, right? Goldman's now talking about a six handle. Um, so we'll see. I, here's, again, here's not, not quite as big as, as my friend thought, but but definitely a big, a positive surprise, which is going to make it tough to, to act. like he said, look, you know, what's the line? We're not even thinking about thinking about pivoting. So, yeah, here's a great quote. Uh, someone just tweeted this pro tip for NFP data on farm payroll. If you're a bear quote job gains, if you're a bull quote unemployment rate. <laughs> so yep. that yeah. it was yeah. a beat on, it was a beat on gains or like a, you know, a negative. We want, we want uh, job gains to be going down, but the unemployment rate has gone up, which is good from a, yep. you know, Fed hiking standpoint. So yeah. a little bit of a nothing burger. It wasn't an enormous beat, but uh, I, I would, I'd be on the same side as you. I think the, the market will react negatively, but we'll have to check where futures are basically by the end of this program. Um, yep. Uh, I, want to, I wanted to, you know, one note on FANGs. I'd be curious to get your thoughts. One thing that I've noticed, uh, and I've kind of heard this from a couple of uh, investors, you know, that, that they started to speak about this, frankly, months ago, was everyone has been kind of pulling the alarm bell on what's been going on rate wise and the slowing in the economy in general. And you kind of saw this wave of rifts, right? And these, some of them were more drastic, right? Depending on what sector you were in crypto, you saw some, some like 30, you know, 30 plus percent rifts. Um, some were reported as 30 and, you know, I've heard rumors that they were higher, but, uh, a lot of them are about in this like lower range It's like 10 to 14% range. So if, if you've ever had to let people go. Uh, what the the core thing, the the rule number one, basically rules number one through ten is if you have to do it, only do it once. Because if you do it twice, right, right, you right, are, right, you are in the shit, my man. Because then no one's going to be secure in their job safety. Everyone's going to be questioning how many more times are we going to do this, et cetera, et cetera. I'm, you know, as I kind of look out there in the world, you see all these, you saw all these like ten percent riffs a little while ago. If the worst of it, right, is still yet to come, I guess what I'm wondering is, are there going to be multiple, you know, 10 to 14%, you know, is there going to be a second wave of these things when people realize that maybe 10% wasn't necessarily enough? Um, I, I don't know the answer to that, but that's what I'm starting to suspect. I I think it's, it's like the old adage, um, you can't cross a chasm in two small jumps, right? Mm. Uh you, you gotta you gotta jump all the way over, right? You can't, you know. Only Michael Jordan, who seemed to be able to elevate after he was already in the air, which I don't understand how that's possible, but but he mm -hmm. could do it. And uh, I know there are people saying, "Who's Michael Jordan?" Like, oh, I'm so old. Um, people but uh, people I, 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 although I've met people who don't, and it it 
it's like, wow, it's just amazing. Um, Like I get it when I use my Brady Bunch analogy and people are like, I don't know what you're talking about because I've never seen the Brady Bunch. But uh, to not know Michael Jordan is, we got to fix that. So here's, here's the thing about the fangs. You know, my thing a while back was fangs bite, right? It's their nature. Mm-hmm. I had a hashtag fangs bite. It's their nature. And no matter how high they went, gravity eventually was going to take over. And here's some crazy stats. This year, right? It's not even over. So this year, the the big four, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, um, are down 53, 57, 45, and 73. Meta's down 73% this year. So has lost three quarters of a trillion dollars alone. And Amazon, right? Amazon is down 45%. And we've talked about this before. Every year they've been a public company for 26 years. They've had a double digit drawdown. This is approaching, you know, five times it's been more than 50%, twice more than 90. And, you know, it's really funny. I, I think I talked about this a couple of shows ago, you know, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I did the Vegas thing for Web3 Expo. Oh, by the way, was I want to give a shout out. Um, it was it was solid, but it was, and I I'm going to come back to this. Let's come back to to uh, the bear market field because I just went to two conferences, LA Blockchain and uh, CoinAlts uh, the last two days. But I want, to, I want to come back to that in a second. But a shout out to you and, and Yano okay. that I was with a couple guys uh, at uh, this CoinAlts thing, uh, the dinner before, and they were raving. I mean, like ebullient about how awesome permissionless was. And that's awesome. other than the fact that y'all ghosted me as a speaker, I mean, other than that, it was a perfect. Hey, we got conference. this year. We got this year. I know. I, I know. Uh, I'm just kidding around. But but I just want to say that that it it was. I mean, I can tell you, they were raving about how amazing that conference was. Um, so the the must the must do. Um, but look, Amazon. So I did the thing with with Mr. Wonderful, and four years ago, 2018, he and I were on TV. And uh, it was the famous episode, not famous, but it was famous to me, uh, where Josh Brown, downtown Josh Brown and I got into it over, uh, he took issue with the fact that I thought you could create a uh, terminal value for a company based on, on interest rates and earnings. I'm like, JB, that, that's kind of how it works. That's the said, well, you have no idea what's going to happen you know, to the future. I, I, I know that, but I, I can have an estimate of what earnings are and I can discount them back. And I can tell you that, you know, the value of this company is significantly lower. Uh, so you can't determine fair value of stocks. Like, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can. But, but anyway, so we got in this and then Mr. Wonderful and I got into it because he's like, you know, you believe in Bitcoin and it's a Ponzi scheme and it's going to zero. And like, well, Kevin, I'm, I'm actually more concerned that that the fangs might be dead money for mm. the next decade. That not, not only will I not earn zero in Bitcoin, but you might earn zero. And I say, that is impossible. That could never happen. So we did this thing. And in my, the title of the talk was uh, from you're dead to me, which is you know, basically what he said to me, like a shark tank thing to, you know, wearing orange shoes. So now 20% of, of his capital is in crypto. Uh, he just raised $250 million fund to do Web3. And he was a good sport. I put up a chart of, of or put up a picture of us on TV, like kind of yelling at each other. And then I put up a picture and stocks were exactly dead flat for four years. Hmm. Amazon's now down over that time. Uh, and Bitcoin was up 3x. Now it had been up 7x. So it was down, but it, it's up three from 2018. And he was a good sport. I said, yep, it's fair. Fair, I'll take that. And I changed my mind. And I said, that's what great investors do, right? They get new information, they change their mind. So he is a great investor and he's, he's doing a lot of things that I think are, are really cool. Um, but I thought, so back to the point on, on conferences. So, uh, you know, I went to Web3 Expo, hmm. <laughs> you know, they were like, oh, we, got, we sold 8,000 tickets. I'm looking around, I'm going, nope, 
Nope, not even close. Um, maybe 800 tickets. And most mm-hmm. of those people never came. Uh, even when Kevin and I were talking, we had a few hundred people. But it was you know early in the morning and it's Vegas and, and people don't, don't go to conference events. But then I was at LA Blockchain the other day and Spartan crowd. Mm-hmm. And I was like cheering. I'm like, yes, we are definitely near the bottom. I mean, mm. and and I am more definitive in my call that June 15th was the bottom. Mm. Uh, and we are in crypto spring. The crypto winter's over. We're in crypto spring uh, on our way to crypto summer. Uh, and then I was at um, CoinOps yesterday. And that was well attended. But it was more service providers than investors. It was actually managers. And there are a ton of really interesting young managers, both hedge fund managers, venture capital managers. And it makes me really excited. And, and, and you know this, right? I, 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 yeah. At the 2019, like the event we did, and that was my whole thing. I'm like, look, the people in this room, right? The, 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 the intelligence, the youthful exuberance, the energy, the passion, this is the greatest migration of talent into an area we've ever seen. Full yeah. stop. And, and that, was perf- that was proof positive of that. We have conferences. Been doing conferences for almost five years. You know, we've done it in bear markets. We've done it in bull markets. I'll go to my grave saying, you know, the bear markets are, are just, uh, conferences are better than the bull market conferences. I love it as an organizer when there are a million people there and everyone's all excited and rah, rah, rah. But yeah. I'm just, you know, having built relationships that I've met a bunch of people at bull market ones and I've met, you know, the people that are attending the bear market conference are just like, real committed serious people you have a higher it's, it's fewer people but there's yeah. a higher higher signal to noise ratio um at, at those yep. sorts of conferences um but but nothing that you're saying is well unexpected said. either it's like higher higher ratio of service providers uh relatively but i think that's gonna gonna change overall and you know just a point on those managers there if you have the opportunity to work with some of those like there are a couple people that i met some of the now enormous managers i don't want to name any names but like you know billion dollar plus funds and I met them yep. when they were managing, you know, in some cases, sub 10 million bucks. And I was like, good, you know, yeah, yeah, it seems smart. Uh, you know, good luck to you. And now it's like, no, oh, I was, damn. I was good with, for you. I was with yeah. one of them. I was with one of them uh, at this, at this event and having dinner uh, two nights ago. And, and it was amazing, right? Cause I had met them when we first started Morgan Creek Digital in 2018 and they were they weren't ten, but they weren't much bigger than that. And and now they're they're well over a billion. And um, awesome. yeah, at the time in 2018, I remember actually doing this stat. You know, there were 300 ish. Maybe maybe this was first quarter 2019 because it was after the the, the big collapse in, in November. Uh, there were 300 ish funds. Uh, they call themselves funds. But when you actually dug deeper, there were six with more than forty million dollars of assets. Uh, I six. It's so funny you say that. I, yeah, I remember six. this too. Yeah, we'd get a lot of um, we'd get a lot of indignant. You know, we sometimes as an organizer we get these you know messages like, "Hey, I'm used to investors being allowed to go to events for free." You know, blah blah blah. I'm an investor. It's like, hey, okay, well, can you like submit a tear sheet? And most of them wouldn't, but some of them would. It'd be like nine hundred k you're managing. It's like, no, well, and, and, and what that was, this was the crazy thing. A vast majority of those 300, at least, oh, just pick a number, 200, whatever the number was, um, were, were this. Guy bought some weed, didn't sell the Bitcoin, a couple hundred bucks, turned into a million bucks. Actually turned into a couple million bucks. Yeah. And then some friends said, hey, do that for me. And this was in 2000, kind of 16, 17, the ICO boom. And so they got another couple million dollars from friends and family. And so they had four or five, let's say they had $5 million. And they went down 80%. So they had 900K left and called themselves a fund. Like, you're, you're not a fund. Are you joking? There's no fund there. And you're a perfectly nice person, but you're not a fund manager. Yeah. I mean, and they, it wasn't everybody bought weed, but but a whole bunch. It was mm. literally that. I was on Silk Road and I did this and it, it just, 
or I bought some ICO and it went up and it, it just, it was nonsense. And now we have a legitimate industry with real people. I mean, this, this group I was talking to, okay, they're now 45 people, half on the investment side, half on the operations and, and uh, infrastructure side, 45 people. Hmm. That is a real firm. That is a real organization. That's awesome. It's fantastic. You know, it's funny, even to this day, one of the most people get very surprised when I say I work in crypto, the industry of crypto. There are many people out there who assume there is no industry. It's just a, right. it's just right. a, uh, right. you know, I, I was on the numbers I, on a screen, just a bunch yeah. of numbers on a screen. When I was, when I was in Morocco, you know, I did this kind of trip, uh, with these, with these other people, you know, there's about 20 people in our group. It was like a guided tour type scenario. And there are a couple of doctors on the, on the older side of things. And I was explaining, you know, oh, what do you do? Oh, I work in media, I would say, cause I don't really want to start out with the fact that <laughs> I get all these questions. Uh, but uh, eventually it came out that I work in crypto. Immediately I saw the face change. Crypto? Do you have any of your crypto? money in? It, it, you know, it, it's so, it's still so funny that in, in, I think the vast majority of people's understanding the public conscious, it's this. Uh, oh, know, no, no. And, it, and it's the, still uh, such a massive digital divide, right? Yeah, people have heard my spiel. Right? Yeah. Ask anyone over 35. Who's your broker? Huh, UBS Merrill Lynch. How much gold do you have? Three, four percent. How much Bitcoin do you have? Oh, my God, zero. Ponzi scheme. The Peter Schiff guy. Don't you listen to him? How often do you use DeFi? DeFi? What, what's DeFi? Ask anyone under 35. Who's your broker? I don't even know what a broker is. I got a Robinhood account. Okay. Got a crypto account. Okay. How much gold do you have? Oh, my God. Boomer rocks. I haven't heard that Peter Schiff guy. How much Bitcoin do you have? Don't really want to talk about it. It's a big percentage of my net worth. How often do you use DeFi? Every day. And, you know, DeFi, maybe the term's going to change. We'll talk at something else, but I actually like it. Decentralized finance is really cool. Uh, I mean, it is the future and everything is going that way. Now, do we have to rebuild trust? Do we have to rebuild systems? Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, financial services is is being disrupted. It's going to continue to be disrupted. And yes, we are in the then they fight you phase. And it's, you know, it's gotten ugly. It's about to get uglier, um, I'm afraid. And, and I really, but I think ultimately the winning is gonna be, it's gonna be big. I mean, it's gonna be foundationally big and it was funny. I was talking, someone, I was doing this thing with Matt Stover. So Matt and I did a fireside chat. And, you know, Matt built like the original like infrastructure. He's amazing. I love, I love Matt. And, um, you know, we hosted, like, we hosted coin alts with them like in 2019. Awesome. Yeah. I know that team very well. They're great. Again, well, you guys are the OGs of, of conferences in the space. And you are, I mean, you're not, you know, old in any way, shape or form like, like me, but, um, and, and it's, it's kind of funny because that, that's the way he introduced me. He says, you know, you're, you're one of the, 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 what do you call it? The OMGs, uh, the old macro guys. And it's, you know, it's DTAP and it's Moorhead and it's Novogratz and it's Yusko and it's Burbank and, mm. and a handful of others. Um, and it's funny because we all came at it from this macro lens, not from a techie lens, not from a, you know, millennial lens, but we, we, we came to it honestly uh, because of, of the macro impact, it's the biggest macro trade we'll probably ever see. But, but we're, we're, we're up there talking and we got talking about S curves and how all technology follows an S curve. It takes you 10 years for 10%, another 10 years for 80%, and then another 10 years for maturity where things become invisible. And you know, people forget the internet is 53 years old. Mm. Just let that sink in for a second. I, yeah. And 53 years ago, there were like seven nodes. There were seven Department of Defense places where the computers could talk to each other. And from that humble beginning comes this ubiquitous tool that we all use every single day. Mm. Sometimes for too much of our day. But actually, I'm so proud of myself. I actually read a book 
last night on the plane. I actually, and, and it's, it's, it's one of these things. And, and, and I'll say it because I, it should be on the shelf. It'll be, the first time I read it was, was here in South Bend. And my, my roommate from here gave me this book, The Alchemist. And it was a life changer. And the first time I read it, it, it literally changed my life. And it, it's about this thing, the personal legend, and everyone should read the book. But I was, I was sitting at the San Francisco airport and I looked up and there was The Alchemist. I mean, just, I didn't need to look up or look down. And, and there was one copy left. It was the 25th anniversary edition. And I said, all right. And I, went, I bought it and I read it. And it was as impactful this time as the last time I read it. Mm. And so doing a little bit of, you know, getting off the screen was, was a good thing. But my point is the, the technology of blockchain, because I said the first four years was kind of like those DARPA years. It's just there wasn't much there there. The last 10 years has been that first 10%. I think we're at 11% penetration or something. Um, so that that's happened. But yeah. now comes the fun part. And here's the crazy thing, right? My cycle, 54, 68, 82, 96, 2010, 2024, hasn't even happened yet. Right? That's the beginning, the beginning of the blockchain era. That's when people actually recognize it and we start to really build on it. And then we have this four-year magic period, just magical period, like 54 to 58, magical period. Then we had a bust. Then 68 to 72, magical period. And then we had a bust. Then 96 to 00, magical period. And then we had a bust. So we'll go 24 to 28 magical period and and we'll be having so much fun doing the show it'll be unbelievable and they'll have a bust but the cool part is on the other side of the bust is where the huge returns come right that's where the big companies are formed because they realize what didn't work and there's this iterative evolution of ideas and technology and companies you know pets.com over a 20-year period became chewy.com which is yeah. a multi-billion dollar company. Yep. It just took 20 years. A hundred percent. And speaking of, uh, you know, big uh, crypto companies now, I want to uh, close basically on dissecting. So Coinbase released earnings yesterday. Um, yep. And like, if I want to just read, you know, the the title of, so if you just look up Coinbase earnings uh, and if you look at the, the headlines, uh, you know, you know, crypto exchange woes continue with Q3 miss uh, as user participation plunges. Coinbase blames sagging crypto volumes as revenue plummets. That's the that's the title of the Financial Times, uh, you know, piece. You can go on. It's it's all negative, yeah. right? Extremely negative. It's all negative. All it. 100%. To me, to to me, this was a positive earnings announcement, and I could be wrong, but this is just my interpretation reading it. So basically, basically, Coinbase. The everyone got very bearish on Coinbase just to just to set this up about uh, you know last quarter, and the interpretation was okay. First of all. They overhired, right? There are too many people there. Uh, there were a couple of different products uh, launches that were kind of misses. It seemed like they were trying to do too many things. The street kind of woke up and said, "Oh my God, how did you, how did you hire this many people this quickly? Your expenses are getting out of control." Um, and at the same time, everyone was like, "Wow, crypto is going away. So these fantastic revenues and profits that you're posting are also going to go away." So basically, all of that, in my opinion, got priced into the stock, right? People got very, people got very comfortable with the idea. Markets are forward-looking that revenues were going to drop and people stopped caring about that so much. So the two things that mattered a lot for Coinbase going into this earnings call were, can you control your expenses? And is what does your revenue mix look like? So Coinbase has been telling that, you know, guiding people towards the idea that we're not necessarily just a transaction-based business and this subscription and services portion of our revenue mix is going to continue to rise. So that's what people were looking at going into the, that's what the analysts were looking at going into this call. And the expectations were, uh, so this was the expectations before, but the, yeah, the expectations before were at 649 million in revenue, uh, adjusted EBIT of negative 212.95. So Coinbase is basically, they've guided towards losing 500, negative $500 million in EBITDA on the year. Not great, but they've at least already guided towards that. So it, again, it's been priced into the market. So as long as they're within that, uh, and, and they're already at negative 130 on the year. So basically if you're sub, 230, you're doing well in the eyes of profitability. And then mm -hmm. there's an adjusted earnings per share of 2.2, uh, $2.12. So the results uh, of Coinbase earnings were 
uh, they had they missed in terms of revenue. So that's the you know that's why that's why all the headlines are sagging revenues. But again, I'm I'm just not convinced that that's necessarily what matters because I think that was relatively priced in. People have been expecting that. So it was 576 million. So it was a miss. But the adjusted EBITDA was only a loss of 116 million, which was good. The most important thing, and this is where there's actually a little bit of it's a little interesting because I'm not 100% sure how to think of this, was their services, the subscription and services portion yep. of their revenue. Uh, that was actually a very large beat. That was 210 uh, on the 576. Uh, last quarter, it was 147. So this was a, a big, big jump. Uh, the subscription and services revenue, uh, it's broken down to four categories. Blockchain rewards, which is staking. Custodial fee revenue, which is down, kind of interestingly. Uh, other subscription services, which is kind of a mix of Coinbase One and Coinbase Cloud. And then there's interest income. And interest income is what the big beat was. And that went from 32 million last quarter to 101.8 this quarter. Um, and basically where that comes from is this split, this revenue split that they have with USDC and Circle. So if you guys remember, there's a consortium called Center uh, of which Coinbase and Circle are partners. Uh, the way Circle makes money is they... You give them dollars, they give you digital IOU dollars back. What they're doing with your dollars on the other end is buying treasuries and harvesting that yield, right? These rising rates have been quite good for Circle because what, what was the yield they were getting on a, a three-month T-bill, you know, 12 months ago versus now? You mm -hmm. know, we've gotten, especially on the short end of the curve, we've literally inverted. They're getting 4% on a three-month uh, T-bill, which is extremely good. Coinbase gets a revenue share on that. And they particularly get a, a higher revenue share on that if the USDC is custodied at Coinbase, which is quite important. So the reason why the headlines on all of these uh, these these media outlets are negative, but the stock is up in pre-market trading is because the revenue mix surprised to the upside and their controlling costs, in my opinion. Absolutely. Uh, I, mean, I mean, and it's up it's up big, right? It's up it's up six plus percent in yeah. pre-market. And it's because people actually do the work instead of, you know, just, just reading the headlines. And look, the institutions, the banks, the brokers, you know, financial services don't, don't want Coinbase to be successful. They don't want us to transfer money into USDC. I'll give you, I'll give you a perfect example. So um, large bank, Bank of America, my bank uh, had, keeps putting limits on how much money they'll let me transfer to Coinbase. Like, it's my money. Yeah, but, but we don't want it to go there. And so, you know, I have to I do some USDC stuff to, to do some, some uh, Web3 investments I'm making. And yeah, I should probably just give in and do the damn wire. But just, I just refuse to pay the 25 bucks. And so just every day I'm, you know, I'll do the 10,000 or the 25,000 or whatever they, they, they put the limit on that day. And it just makes me crazy that there's this, this nonsense. And it's, it's an inevitability thing that, you know, Coinbase is a business that is going to do three-ish billion of revenue this year. Mm. That's a real business, right? That, that's a real yeah, business. That's, yeah, for sure. Look at what they did in and, 2021. The numbers are staggering. Yeah. And it's a business with, you know, close to 60 million users. Okay. It's a lot, it's all people. That's, that's one out of every, you know, six people in the country. Um, so that's a pretty big deal. It's a business that is diversifying their mix of, of revenue, as you said. It's a business that is innovating, right? They, they have their NFT marketplace now, uh, live, it'll take a while, you know, OpenSea is still the preferred. Um, but ultimately, it's a business that that is going to, I think, dominate CFI. And, and this is the whole argument, you know, you got the maxis out there saying, you know, kill CFI, we don't want CFI. I'm like, I hate to tell you, but there's gonna be a whole lot of people, a whole lot of people that use centralized finance and don't go full DeFi. And so I, I, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on, on the, the whole long-term there. I've got a hot take for you. So this, mm -hmm. what I wish, um, so I, I view Coinbase and there's probably good reason why they 
there's probably actually, as I'm saying this, there's some other reasons why they can't necessarily do this. But um, so I'm looking at the way that they break out their their revenue. So they break it out by transaction and subscription services based revenue. The the reason why the stock isn't up more actually is because the analysts on the analyst call were all questioning whether or not this interest income deserves to be uh, lumped in with subscription and services. Because that's the story that Coinbase has been trying to tell. We're not this transaction-based business. We're going to have a subscription a subscription part of revenue that's going to get more and more significant. And then I'll say, well, is interest income really subscription? Does this, is this, this Are we categorizing this correctly, right? Because revenue gets mm-hmm. different multiples, essentially. Mm-hmm. So is interest really the same thing as, as these sorts of things? I would argue it's probably not, but I don't think that necessarily needs to be a bad thing. I think that Coinbase is basically a, a bank. Right. And a lot of the way that banks yeah. make money, yeah. their net interest yeah. margin businesses for the most part. Right. It, it, same with brokerages at these. Like, look at how Charles Schwab. Yeah, it's more like money, a broker. It's, it's, it's more like a brokerage. Yeah, it's more like a broker. It's more like more like a broker. Right. Those are still net interest margin businesses. Coin, uh, Charles Schwab doesn't make money from trading fees. They make money from the assets that it has on the platform. And I wish yeah. that Coinbase would kind of just lean into that and say, yeah, the, hey, we are recategorizing our revenue. This line item that's been growing, by the way, at like 200% plus quarter over quarter, we're going to lean into that. And we're going to take advantage of these rising yields in TradFi. And we're, we're going to do, we're going to open up different lines of business that take advantage of this. And I, one thing that I, uh, I didn't, uh, our, our reporter, Casey, she sat in and actually listened to the analyst call. Uh, so I don't know if they mentioned this, but one thing that this might be too crypto native for the analysts, but that they, I didn't, I haven't seen anyone connect these dots. So a, a bullish development that's taken place for Coinbase is this, they got, they got a billion six uh, of USDC to come onto their platform from Maker, right? This was a proposal that the institutional team submitted through the Maker governance forums, which was to take $1.6 billion worth of USDC that's sitting in the peg stability mechanism, USD that's basically supporting the peg for, for, uh, for DAI and custody it on uh, with Coinbase. They're not going to charge them any fees. The reason that they're doing this is because again, when the, the USDC that they have this agreement with, with uh, Circle through Center, when that's custodied on the USDC platform, they get a higher percentage of the revenue share. So you're going to see more agreements like that basically take place. And I think Coinbase is going to go out there and say, hey, all this USDC that we have an interest in, we want to get some of this revenue that Circle's earning. So yep. we're going to try yep. to get more and more USDC custodied. So look for more USDC and more assets, more dollar-denominated assets to move onto the Coinbase balance sheet and their interest in income to keep going up. Um, and I and I, the last thing that I'll say is Circle is quietly sitting on a massive business, like a phenomenal oh, yeah, business. Yeah, yeah. They're just literally yeah, massive. They're getting, you know, uh, so I think they're going to be more competitors. All right. I know we're, we're a little bit over time, so maybe we can wrap it here. But um, Mark, as always, uh, favorite hour of my week, my friend. Um, no, so awesome. And uh, I think, again, thanks for doing all the work. Thanks for, for uh, ideating this a year ago and putting us together every week. It is, it is one, it's, it's just great discipline to sit down every week and, and talk about the, the big things that happen. Two, it is just such a joy to, to have this back and forth conversation uh, and really dive deeply into you know, the most important things that, that we should all be thinking about. And then the last thing, again, shout out to everyone actually listening and having coffee with us on on Saturday morning. Uh, That means a lot. We appreciate it very much. 